Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. This morning, what a wonderful, wonderful congregation you have. I serve as Associate Rector at Trinity Church in Princeton. I teach at the seminary, and I'm the canon theologian of the Diocese of New Jersey, which means in exchange for answering the bishop's emails, I get red buttons. <laughs> so I, it's a great exchange. <laughs> so again, thank you so much, Christ Church. So I've had a few health issues recently that ended up with trips to the emergency room where I spent hours in the waiting area watching the Hallmark Channel. Now, I didn't pick this. It was what was on the TV, and I couldn't change the channel. Um, and, and this was around Christmas time. And so some of y'all may be familiar with the generalized plot structure of the Hallmark <laughs> Christmas movie, right? These things come on all December, and they all have exactly the same plot. There's some kind of a threat, some kind of a drama in a family or a town or a relationship. But through the magic of Christmas, the threat is overcome, and everyone comes together to stand around the tree and sing carols, and it's great. It's particularly heartwarming, if not particularly realistic cinematic formula. It makes unity Seems so easy. Add sweaters, baked goods, a Christmas tree, maybe a little romance, and stir. Movie magic. But today, we're treated to a fortifying dose of reality. Today, in our epistle reading from 1 Corinthians, Paul describes the complicated and, frankly, messy unity that the church receives in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we hear a letter that reveals just how quickly and just how easily churches can succumb to division, and more often than not, how comfortable division can get, because misery and bitterness can be comforting in a horribly addictive and toxic kind of a way. Just after the hallmark season of Christ's birth, just after that season of warmth and togetherness, the lectionary presents us with this letter to a church that is at each other's throats over which leader's team they're on, Team Paul, Team Apollos, or Team Cephas. And so Paul continues with this language of the body of Christ that we also heard last week to emphasize how much we're made a part of each other in Jesus and how much we need each other in this thing we do called church. He says, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free And we are all made to drink of one spirit. And yet unity is not uniformity. Baptism isn't like a steamroller or a cookie cutter that makes us all exactly the same. The body of Christ needs our differences, 
our different gifts, the different roles that we play in church and in our lives in order to function. We couldn't very well have a body with all feet or all noses or all spleens. We need everyone to bring who they are and what they've been given together. To what end, though? You know, far too often when I ask Episcopalians what's important about their parish, what they really like about it, they'll say something like vaguely uh, community. We love each other. We support each other. We have great coffee hour. We do a lot of good in our town. And that's really important and true. Fellowship and mutual support are important. Loving our neighbors is really important, but you can also find that in other places. <clears throat> you can find that in the Rotary Club. And you can find division and conflict there too, just as you can in the church. But what you can't find anywhere else, or rather who you can't find anywhere else, is Jesus the one that we're united to in baptism. We find the body of Christ in each other. We find the body of Christ in what we receive, what makes us one body with each other on the joyful road of the Christian life that leads us from baptism to the Eucharist that's always coming from beginning and again and again and again until we're all gathered at that glorious table of the Lord on the last day. And what this means for us is the church becomes clear in one of St. Augustine's Easter sermons that uh, we put a, this quote in the margins of our bulletin at Trinity Church. It says, if we receive the Eucharist worthily, we become what we receive. In receiving Christ, we become one body with him. Through the Eucharist, through what we do here, we enter into a unique and personal relationship with the triune God and with one another. As the body of Christ, we become what we eat. And one of my favorite ways to teach kids and maybe kids of all ages about how this works is to hand everybody a, a piece of chocolate, right? One of the little Hershey's kisses or something. And then I say, what I want you to do now is to get as close as you can to that piece of chocolate. And of course, they'll eat it, right? Every last one of them will eat it. They get it. It's something that we understand on a visceral level much more readily than in the realm of thought. What we're talking about here isn't just about bonds of affection, liking each other, enjoying each other's company, or even uh, maybe trying to love one another. We can try to love each other without God's help, but as anyone who's been married for a long time can tell you, some days that's really, really hard. Sometimes it's hardest to love the people we're around most if we try to do it under our own steam. But the good news is that we don't. And our gospel tells us how that is, this is true. Here comes Jesus into the synagogue and he opens the scroll and he reads. 
and the people are astounded at what they hear. He speaks with an authority that's different than that of a charismatic preacher. He speaks the word of God as the word made flesh. He speaks as the fulfillment of scripture and not just one who proclaims it, who preaches it. His proclamation is perfect and it shows how imperfect all our attempts to say anything about the word of God and about God truly are. My theological beloved uh, Karl Barth writes that the church is the fellowship of those who proclaim the word of God and hear it. When confronted by the adequacy of God's word, human lips and ears display their inadequacy. That though humans are bound to receive and proclaim the truth as it is with God, as soon as we try to do so, we're bound in some way to fail. Our words slip, slide, will not stay in place as we approach the word of God, and my words do the same. But the good news today is that the body of Christ is knit together not because of us, but in some sense despite us. By God's infinite grace in Christ, uh, Bart, again, general fellowship is grounded upon a negative. It's grounded upon what we lack. It's precisely when we recognize that we're sinners, that we perceive that we are siblings. My friends, our solidarity with others, our being one body with others is alone grounded when with others we stretch out beyond everything that we are and have and behold the holy problematic character of our present condition. We, on our own, fall short of the glory of God. But my friends, there's one who does not fall short of God's glory because God's glory is his. And while our own attempts to proclaim liberty and healing to the nations inevitably hit their limits, Jesus does not. And as long as we can point to him as the one who fulfills God's word of liberation and not ourselves, we'll have something to say to each other, to this body called Christ Church, and to the world. Amen.